Hello and welcome to episode 349 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com. The show is going to air on Monday, May 9th, which means you've got a month and a half to decide whether you want to sign up for the August 2022 LSAT registration uh, or LSAT administration. Those deadlines just came out, all of them for the entire next LSAC cycle. Those deadlines are now out, but it's Tuesday, June 28th to decide whether you want to register for the August uh, 2022 LSAT. Really no reason to sign up ahead of time. I, I, I just your practice test scores aren't going to lie. So I would take practice tests until they reflect, you know, a number that you're happy with, then register for the test. No, no rush. If you're hearing this on uh, day one, as the podcast releases, we do have a class coming up in just another couple of weeks. Registration is open for how to get a law job you love with uh, USC law professor Rachel Gezer says she's also a practicing attorney in Los Angeles. That's Saturday, May 21st, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you can go to lsat.link slash Rachel if you would like to register for that free class. All you need is uh, an LSAT demon free account. Hope, hopefully we'll uh, see you guys there. Hopefully I'll see you in my uh, LSAT study group. I do this every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can just, uh, again, go to lsatdemon.com, sign up, sign up for a free account and come to my... Um, free study group. Ask me absolutely any question you want to ask me. We're still hiring. Uh, if you want to teach, especially if you want to teach logic games for us, we would like to see a video. Uh, we need a 99th percentile official LSAT score report, and we need a video of you teaching a game. Uh, you can just email that to me directly, Nathan at LSATdemon.com. We have a discount program for pre-law societies. There are some graphics and maybe some copy at lsat.link slash prelaw, but the idea basically is if you can get the demon listed and linked on your prelaw group website, we'll give you and everyone in your group 25% off of their first month of the demon, any plan. Just email help at lsatdemon.com if you want to take advantage of that. Today on the show, we had uh, a, a bunch of emails about the Proctor U snafus that happened over the weekend. A bunch of people had like a two hour delay and their official test or complete inability to even take their official test. So we've got some email rants from people venting about that. Um, we also had uh, just kind of a big mailbag. I think the most interesting thing that we talked about was we went into a lengthy discussion of uh, LSAT versus GPA weightings. Yep. We mm -hmm. took the public index formulae, I hate that word. Can I just say formulas of all of the schools? And we did some analysis and I guess the punchline is law schools are weighting the LSAT somewhere between three and seven times as heavily as they're weighting GPA. Yep. That's our conclusion, right? That's our conclusion. We could be wrong. Please tell us if we're wrong. We have a long discussion about it uh, later in the show, but our analysis seems to indicate that law schools really care about LSAT a lot more than they care about GPA. Cool. All right. Ready yep. to dive in? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, uh, we got a bunch of emails here, Ben. They're kind of all in the same vein. The official April LSAT was last Friday, Saturday. And uh, at, <laughs> people came to my new uh, LSAT after party 
uh, yeah. on Sunday afternoon and everybody was venting about all of these same issues. But you want to take this uh, first email from the basically there was a big ass Proctor U snafu of some sort. You want to read through some of these emails? Yeah, this is from Grace. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Just wanted to let you and any other listeners know about my unfortunate testing experience today. My test was scheduled for 9 a.m. Central, and everything went fine until 11 a.m. I think I had about 10 minutes left in my third section when I was disconnected. I messaged my proctor, who said they were working on it. They checked in with me roughly every 10 minutes to tell me there was quote, an issue with LSAC's website, close quote, and they were still working on it. After an hour of me sitting there staring at my computer, they told me the issue was still not resolved and they had to end the session. Seems like pretty typical LSAC proctor UBS. Admittedly, I'm pretty annoyed that I wasted three hours of my Saturday on this, but ultimately predicting this will be your take on it. I'm going to roll with the punches and get ready for a retake. Thanks for listening to my rant. Yep. Well, you're not the only one that's ranting, Grace. Uh, Elijah says, your inboxes will probably be flooded with pissed off test takers shortly, and I'm happy to be part of that pile. Both ProctorU and LSAC phone lines are disconnected. From looking around Reddit, it seems almost everyone got booted mid-test. I'm not well-versed on LSAT Flex lore, but I'm guessing this is unprecedented and might have major ramifications. I was never even able to start mine, stuck on the chat screen for over an hour now. I was really looking forward to killing this test and then opening a bottle of wine to celebrate this LSAT journey finally coming to a close. I'll still be opening that wine, but the journey continues, I guess. Fortunately for, for y'all, this debacle might result in another month of my subscription <laughs> money. <laughs> Cheers, sad face. Best Elijah. Yeah, well, um, we were behind it. I mean, that's what we did. We yeah. <laughs> this is the last way I want to get paid. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 just an unfortunate truth that they proctor you slash the website. I don't know what the actual root of the problem is. It's not our tech. Yeah. But um, that's yeah. Here's here's one more. You want to take this one? From sure. Chris? I'm sure you guys are going to get are going to get a thousand or more emails about this. But wow, LSAC crashed for nearly two hours today, beginning almost exactly at 11 a.m. Central. I think you guys had an email months ago regarding those unexpected errors, the things you can't test for or control. I can't remember what exactly they said about test day issues, but it was good. It was a good episode. I think it was basically the idea that there are variables you won't be able to practice for on test day and you need to be prepared for unexpected events. At first, I was worried. Then I realized it was LSAC and not me. And so I looked at it as being able to take a nearly two hour break in the middle of my exam. Totally fair. I'm sure everyone who got the standard 10 minutes will love to hear that. I ended up grabbing my guitar and playing for like 45 minutes and my proctor was cool with it. Then right near the end of the fourth section, my computer just went black and straight up restarted out of nowhere. Oh, okay. How is it that in four straight months of Saturday morning prep tests, this restart issue has not occurred once and suddenly the day of the real thing, all the worst stuff happens. Anyway, just wanted to share my experience. 
Uh, I think everything is going to go fine. And if not, I already contacted LSAC to verify whether my test will reflect what I input. And I'm already scheduled for June. Chris. Um, I heard a dozen or half a dozen similar stories from people who came to our LSAT Demon Live um, after party class where we yeah. kind of vented about all of these issues and then talked about making plans for going forward. A few of the students. So what what happened was all the people who were affected were offered a uh, retake. Uh, here's the strategery part of it. They're offered a retake on exactly May 10th. I think it was. I, okay. Yep. Don't, don't, you could fact check me. I, I, whatever it was, it was something like exactly May 10th, or maybe it was May 8th, or whatever. So it was just tomorrow, like the day after day. this comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a Tuesday. So yeah. Okay. So May 10th. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you know, the, so then like some of the students are like, "Well, I work though, <laughs> so I can't do that." And LSAC, so the, so the other option was you can retake it for free in June. Okay. There's a couple of problems. You know, if you take advantage of the exactly May 10th retake, then yep. that's you're gonna that's your May attempt, and then you can still take it in June. Yep. But for the people who can't take it on exactly May 10th, if they do avail themselves of this free retake in June. Well, then it's as if they just didn't get a shot at the May LSAT. Yep. So for people who are ready, you know, for people who uh, have their practice test scores where they need to be, for people who now just need to document on record their full potential by taking the official test. Yep. Um, if you can't take the retake on May 10th, you're just basically like, well, sorry, May LSAT was not for you. Yep. And you, you know, they give you, it's like they're being generous by giving you the, the free retake on June 10th. But most of our students, like the people who are doing it right strategically, they were already going to take it in June so that they would have another shot at it so that they, you know, increase their chances of getting the score that really reflects their ability. I, I want to be clear that we're not encouraging people to try to get lucky. We're encouraging people to smooth out the natural effects of random variation by taking the test multiple times so that you at some point, you know, your highest score on record is going to be a good reflection of what you're capable of. Yeah. I I do want to push back against the people who are not taking it on May 10th because of work. If you got COVID, would you be working on May 10th? I mean, I guess you have to decide how important your job is and how important it is to work on that day. But I would imagine a lot of us have a reflexive automatic response to something like May 10th. We say, Oh, I'm working, not going to work. It's like, yeah. What, what if you got sick? What if you were had a, I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, this is more important than your stupid job anyway, right? Like you're, you're planning on quitting your job, aren't you? To go to yeah. law school. Yeah. I'd so, hate, to hate that you lose that option to take the test one more time. Potentially, you know, you can have swings of two, three points sometimes just from test to test more. So what if you got three more points because you got to take it a couple uh, one more time? Like, geez. Yeah. And on the rational presumption that one LSAT point is worth $10,000 in scholarships, three LSAT points is worth $30,000 in scholarships. 
So what's worth more, <laughs> an attempt at $30,000 or one random Tuesday of work? Yeah. Not only that, but it, well, <laughs> I was going to say it's not an all day affair, except for apparently Proctor U turns it into an all day affair sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in, in theory, it shouldn't be right. So in theory, it should be two and a half hours and it just really yeah. shouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, different for accommodated students, of course, different if Proctor U decides to give you a two hour break in the middle of your test. We heard this from a lot of people. Um, it, the the yeah, the reports of the proctoring, they were wildly different. Like the, we got definitely have different proctors telling people different stories. Definitely have multiple proctors per session. So it's not just one proctor that that's your proctor for the whole time. It's a team of proctors. I think they're like in India or somewhere um, and they're remote, you know, proctoring you and a, a thousand other people who are taking the test at the same time. Um, <laughs> one guy randomly said that he his his proctor had chickens in the background every time his proctor spoke. Uh, like at the breaks or whatever, or reading the instructions at the beginning. Okay. There were like background chickens. <laughs> so, you know, whatever. It's like remote workers. So who knows yeah. where they are They're yeah. just somewhere, but there were chickens in the background yeah. um, <laughs> on a farm somewhere. <laughs> uh, there were reports of um, people with accommodations, the, the proctor not allowing them to go to the bathroom on their special accommodated break. Hmm. When, the accommodations clearly stated that this student was allowed to use the restroom during that extra break that they get because of their accommodations, but the proctor didn't know that you definitely need to be geared up for that, right? That yeah. especially if you have accommodations, you should be geared up for the idea that maybe the proctors are not going to be perfectly trained on your exact accommodation. I encouraged yeah. people to have a printed out version of it and to just be like ready to advocate for themselves. Sure. You can just show it to them. Yeah. So some people, it sounds like they did fine despite the two hour break. Uh, other people, like especially I think people on the Pacific time zone didn't actually get affected because this thing had gotten resolved before they started their test. Sure. But it sounds like East Coast and um, Central time, maybe even Mountain time, people got caught up in this um, snafu, which turned out to be a very long delay in some cases. One one student said she was like halfway through a reading comprehension passage and mm. the whole thing went dark. Then mm. when it came back, she says she doesn't even remember hitting start. She thinks that it was just like once it came back, it was just like going. Huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like going. We're back. We're back. Are you ready? We're, yeah, we're what? ready. We're rolling. We've been here the whole time. What? You're not ready? Um, Hmm. So that's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah. Law schools only care about your highest score. You're allowed three attempts in one cycle, up to five attempts in multiple cycles. Only the good one's going to matter. You got to be ready for the possibility that the shit is going to just hit the fan on any official test. This is, I think, my best advice for all of this is, well, that's why you plan on taking it multiple times. Yep. Yeah, because you can't control this stuff. And I mean, we would like it that they don't have these constant snafus. I'm sure they would like it that they don't have these problems all the time. Mm -hmm. I think the majority of people do successfully take the LSAT online without any problems. But when they have problems, boy, I mean, it, it really negatively impacts the people that it impacts a lot. Yeah. 
and it's a it's just a bummer. Um, I heard a few other weird, funny stories. How about this one? We need you to pick up your laptop and show all around the room that you're taking the test in. Okay. Okay. Uh, but I can't because it's a desktop. It's a fixed. I can't. Yeah. My camera doesn't move. Yep. Oh, okay. Go get your phone. Wait, you. T- my phone's in the other room. I'm not supposed to have my phone. Yeah, go get your phone. Hmm. Turn it on. Use your phone camera somehow. Connect to us via your phone camera to show us the security of your room. <laughs> we heard other people, multiple people, hmm. show me your phone so that I can make sure it's off. How fucking stupid is that? Can you ma- can you imagine? Show me your phone so that I can be sure it's off. Can you imagine the security involved, the like complete lack of how hard is it to game that? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll pick up my phone right now. Oh, wait, that came on. But even then, you just turn it off and then turn it back on. Well, you right? have it off. You show it to them that it's off. And then the second you set you it just down, reach you... your hand back over and turn it back on. That's yeah. not hard. I mean, it, it. it's just it's like, um, I don't know. It's just like security theater, right? It's the difference between actual security and like just trying to make it look like you're doing something for security. Sure. Uh, which I feel like half of what TSA does too, right? It's just like mm-hmm. this bogus security theater, make yeah. you empty out your water bottle or whatever. Like, come on. And um, <laughs> like, Ben, how hard would it be if you wanted to videotape your entire session taking the test? How hard would that be? Oh, not hard at all, especially these days. I mean, gosh, think about all the hidden cameras that are easily accessible on Amazon. Well, and you're telling me that some remote proctor is going to be able to look at your you're controlling the camera. You control what the remote proctor sees. So they're like, no, show me all around the room. Yeah. As if me panning the camera around is going to be able (laughs) you're going to be able to totally detect anything like, wait, 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 there's someone standing right there. Oh, okay. Well, and anyway, (laughs) the second we stop, I just reach under the table, grab out your 4K camera. (laughs) And <laughs> just set yeah. it up over here. I'm doing it right now. It's over here. It's off the camera. You can't see, but I'm doing it. And there's nothing that they could do to stop that. If they, it, that's the the ultra irony about this is that the people who are really gonna cheat, like the people who are really gonna pirate the test or mm. really cheat, they're gonna do it anyway. You're not stopping them. <laughs> you're all you're doing is inconveniencing like the 99 percent, 99.99 percent of the people who have no interest in cheating in the first place. Maybe so. Maybe this is going after the the ten percent of like lazy cheaters, right? Like they're going through this theater, but <laughs> you know they're going to do it. So you're kind of like, eh, nah, forget it. I uh, well, you know, I won't cheat. But if they did nothing, then it's a percentage of people who would. Hmm, okay, maybe I'm going to take advantage of this. Cynically, this it's kind of perfect, right? I mean, because it's like, it's not like there's real character and fitness for lawyers. Sure. Well, it's, not, it's not like they're actually getting people who are of upstanding moral character. Sure, sure, sure. They're just making sure you've never been caught for anything. Mm-hmm. It's not that you didn't do these things. It's it's not it's not that you actually have there's just ethics. no record of it. Of yeah. A, yeah. It's do you know the right answers on this stupid ethics test? 
And can you avoid in your character and fitness? Can you avoid like getting obviously caught? Yeah. But it's not like a re- it's not like they're really actually making sure that every licensed attorney is the upstanding highest moral character. I mean, that's not <laughs> definitely not what the game really is. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't want you to cheat. It's that we want you to be good at cheating. <laughs> I think there's some effort to keep people right to keep the real, real bad apples out. That's the idea. But yeah, there's necessarily going to be a lot of people. It's certainly not a. It's not a standard to aspire to. You pass the character in fitness. It's not like oh well, you must be upstanding. <laughs> no, they yeah right for for keeping up appearances. Yep. They want the obvious, really blatant, the people who are the worst at it. We'll keep them yeah. out. Yep. But you also have to acknowledge at the same time that there is no way of keeping out the people who are good at it. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who are going to make the most money as lawyers. <laughs> Those are the people who are going to be at the very top, top, top tier level are the ones and who are the people very we best. might even applaud. Yeah. I mean, heck, you know. <laughs> Well, they're good at running the system in their way, right? I mean, I'm thinking of like Alan Dershowitz. It's like, you know, like morally, do you want to vouch for that guy? No. But if you murdered somebody and you needed a defense attorney. Yeah. mm, Probably him. (laughs) Like He he wins. He gets off people who are clearly guilty. So he's the one who's the very best at playing the game. Anyway, I have here. Uh, I want to read these numbers out. I'm not sure if this is going to help anybody, but I I, I feel like we need to start publishing these numbers. Uh, Everybody should be armed. So um, Brandon actually (laughs) told a story that was really kind of interesting. Brandon had a child related snafu on his test, which was his kid like broke his laptop (laughs) right before the test. His kid was like walking on his laptop and broke the keyboard and Brandon had Proctor U's support number on hand. Okay. Which is 888-355-8043. That's Proctor U support. And Brandon was able to call Proctor U, explain what happened, and get permission to use like a Bluetooth keyboard that he previously didn't have permission to use. He was able to take his test on schedule, even though he had had some technical snafu. Um, this was unrelated to the outage and we, one of the emailers said that the phone lines were also down, but <laughs> you might as well have that Proctor U support number and LSAC tech support also 215, or maybe this is LSAC's just main number, but 215-968-1001. I think you should have both of those numbers ready to go anytime you're going to sit for the official test because who knows what kinds of problems might happen and Sitting there for two hours? No. I would be hammering the phone to see what's going on. Yeah. All right. Ready for this uh, next email from Sharon? Yeah. I've been studying on LSAT Demon with premium for the last few months and been drilling a little every day until recently when I switched to alternating one logical reasoning plus one logic games section per day. Okay, so you're doing two timed sections per day. Sounds like it could be a lot. And one reading comp plus one games section per day during weekdays. 
because I work full time. Whoa, 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 what's going on here? What's you're alternating? So every day you're doing a game section, but you're alternating logical reasoning and reading comp every day. Sounds like it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That makes sense. If games is your weakest section, you know, you can get to perfect on the games. Eventually we recommend a lot that people do games more than they do the other two sections. So doing games every day and then alternating between LR and RC generally seems okay. Sounds like a lot, honestly, two it does sound sections. like too much. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Because I work full time and saving practice tests, and saving practice tests or doing three 35-minute sections for the weekends. Okay, sharing continues. I've been more or less sticking to it. It is what it is sometimes with full-time work, so I'm just making sure I do a little bit, even if I don't ultimately reach my goal for that day. But then my 2L friend brought up a good point to hold off on test 80, test 80s and above, for only practice tests and maybe do them later because I could at some point run out of questions and start memorizing previous questions slash answers, which I have unintentionally done before in other standardized exams. I don't know if pacing is a relevant thing to think about since the basic bones behind the passage games, questions, answer choices are all repetitive anyways. True. But if you all have a suggestion, please let me know. Someone just talked about this last night in class too. They had done the same thing. Some some previous prep course had told them to save all the recent tests for practice tests. So they had gone in and edited their test settings so that all the most recent tests were allocated to test taking. And then they did all the pre, like the, you know, the older tests for drilling. And I was like, oh, well, you can do whatever you want. You can change your test settings, but I don't think that's necessary. And in fact, the reason we incorporate some of the more modern tests into drilling is so that when you do a time section or you do a test after doing drilling, you aren't experiencing substitution questions for the first time or whatever. And I think there's just too much weight on modern versus old tests and too much concern about seeing um, questions on tests when you take those tests. It's like, okay, but can you get it right now? And fine, your score might be a little skewed because you've seen a question before. So what? This is a practice test. It's not your final test. All you care about is learning. That That should always just be your primary focus. Right, yeah. You, the demon generally, I don't think people should be messing with the settings very much. Nope. We've made good decisions on your behalf. You don't need to worry about it. <laughs> Just drill sometimes, do timed sections sometimes, come to class. You don't need to manage it. Just do a little bit. Yep. Uh, this idea that you're going to hold off on tests in the 80s for only practice tests is like, well, wait, so then what are you telling me? Are you going to do all those tests before you sit for your official test? Or are you going to do just some of them, then take the test officially, then have more of them in reserve before the next time you take the test officially? I don't yeah, think it's that's like you're really holding that good of back. a plan. Yeah, because no. especially for logic games, I would prefer that you've done all of the most recent games before you sit for your first official practice test or your first official test. I think you should have done all of the games in the 80s and above. So that seems weird to me to be holding back intentionally. I'm not saying you have to do all of them. I'm just saying that like it would kind of be better that you did than that you didn't. So intentionally holding stuff back for future retakes 
doesn't make any sense to me. People put well, way too so, much weight but, in hold the on, idea. Wait, one second. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd even say that. I just don't want people getting like obsessed about like, oh, well, I've done a bunch of drilling, but I haven't done all the games from test 80 and up. And now Nathan's saying I should go do them. I, I, yeah. I feel like all the games are pretty good. So uh, I, I don't want people thinking about any of this. No, like, exactly. No. Stop managing it. Don't worry yeah. about it. We've made all the decisions for you. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and here's one thing to keep in mind too. Here's a negative with doing all the most recent tests if they are better in any way, shape, or form as practice tests. I don't think people review practice tests as effectively as they yeah. review time sections or yeah. drilling. Well, and to go back to Sharon's thing, you know, doing a section of LR and a section of games on a weekday when you're working or a section yeah. of reading comp and a section of games on a work day. Why not just do a little bit of logical reasoning drilling and a section of games? Why yep. not do a little bit of reading comp drilling and a section of games? Or why don't you do a little bit of both in drilling? Or why do a logical reasoning section and then drill some games. Like, uh, Why this, this fetish on... It's like she was drilling and then she went 100% to just timed sections. I don't know why you're doing that. And I think, you know... Yeah, because a weekday... Man... Just to do two time sections, that's an hour and 10 minutes with no break. That's an hour and 10 yeah. minutes plus review, which might be another hour. Do you really mm -hmm. have two hours and 10 minutes on a weekday? I don't. That's a lot. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's an awful lot to squeeze in if you're working a normal nine to five or nine to six or, you know, law firm life, nine to eight <laughs> like schedule. Why not do less, but go deeper? You know, the exciting thing about all this, Nathan, is that Demon 3.0 should hopefully put an end to all these questions. Really? The first time I ever heard of Demon 3.0 was yesterday in, on our Slack. I, uh, I guess this came up in your class last night. You were yeah. asking for uh, features for Demon 3.0. Want to give us a little peek behind the curtain on Demon 3.0? Yeah. The idea behind Demon 3.0 is to basically... Um, remove all these choices from people. So right now we've removed choice from drilling, right? So when you drill, the demon decides what question is best for you. And then it gives you another one. It gives you another one. So you don't have to go out and decide, oh, which questions am I going to drill? Um, that's great. But what about like, oh, should I drill? Should I drill games? Should I drill logical reasoning? Should I do a time section? Should I do a test? Should I look at a lesson? Should I attend a class? All these kinds of questions. I think people over time figure it out, but it's like the idea behind Demon 3.0 is you log in and it's giving you a suggestion. It's like, hey, do this. And you know, maybe you don't have time for a test right now. So then you say skip and, and then it pops up another suggestion. And it's like, okay, so we can start you know, pushing people toward uh, this balance that we constantly are trying to fight against, right? People get in these like ruts and they're doing one thing over and over and over again for a long time. And it's like, okay, I'm glad you're doing practice questions, but are you doing too many? Are you taking time to review? Have you, you, you've done drilling for three months. What about a time section? Um, you haven't ever taken a test. Well, Hey, give it a shot. And so I am hoping that the vast majority of people will just Log in, go, you yep. know, 
save that mental energy <laughs> for your questions. Yeah. We'll, we'll tell you what to do. Yep. You don't. Yeah. Stop trying to stop trying to control it. The problem is I anticipate some people wanting to wanting to still like over constrain the system. You know, these lawyers tend to be very control oriented and yeah. I can see them thinking that they need to go in and customize all these settings for their own benefit. But generally, yeah. no, you don't. <laughs> you need to show up, do a question, get it right. Yep. If you struggle at all, you need to figure out how to make it make perfect sense. Once it's perfectly clear, then you need to do another one. Yep. It's like why you basically don't need to choose like your classes. Even if you're a demon live subscriber, just come to class. Just whichever one works with your schedule, just show up. Yep. It's fine. <laughs> you don't need to perfectly, you know, I'm, this is like a lesson for myself with my <clears throat> yoga practice, right? Yeah. Just go to class. It doesn't, it's fine. Yeah. I know you, there's certain ones that you like or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You can try to go to those ones cause you like them more, but you also could just whatever one they're offering, that's probably yep. good for you. Yeah. <laughs> you can just go, you know, you need to do all of the things. So why not just go do whatever they're doing that day and don't make the decision. Let the professional make the decisions for you. Yeah. yeah I like that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anything else for Sharon? No, I think All right. we covered it. Okay, thanks for writing in, Sharon. Oh, by the way, everybody, uh, the email address for the show is help at thinkinglsat.com. So please um, write us in, let us know what you think. All right, this next one is from Anonymous. Hi, Nathan and crew. I just wanted to send you a quick note saying thank you for all the great instruction and help. I cannot stress enough how grateful I am. I recently got into my first choice school, University of Alberta. That's in Edmonton. Alberta, Canada. And that can largely be attributed to LSAT Demon, exclamation point. I scored a 169, which compared to some of the other rock stars on your show isn't that great, but I do feel I performed much better than what I initially felt I was capable of. Capable of. There were many days where I felt like scoring 165 was an impossible task. I appreciated the excellent quick replies to the ask button, the engaging live classes, and the clear video explanations. Well, we appreciate you. Thanks for writing in. Um, here comes a question. I'm preparing for my 1L year and thinking about the classes where the final grade will be based primarily on papers. Nathan, you recently mentioned on a show that Abigail reads over some of the stuff before it is sent out and provides feedback. Well, that's Abigail editing my written explanations for logical reasoning. She also edits the team's written explanations for reading comprehension. Does LSAT Demon offer writing help services for papers? I know you help with personal statements. I would be interested in editing services from the ACE team at LSAT Demon. I know Ben was mentioning he used to work for a legal writing consulting company, and I've picked up quite a few writing tips from the two of you. Just some food for thought. If it's not a service that is offered currently, have a great summer. This is a incoming 1L at University hmm. of Alberta in Edmonton. I, I don't know that uh, writing is the actual thing that's being tested on these law school exams. Definitely not, because you can actually, in many cases, if you don't even write prose, if you just write bullet points, like you can write an outline and that's, that's in fact a common test taking strategy for these exams. Yeah. 
is that you you write it in bullet points first or you write it in outline form first. And then, yeah, you develop as much of that as you can. You flesh out the arguments as much as you have time for. But you can still end up getting credit for the part that you just outlined if the professor can see that you knew what analysis needed to be done. It's issue spotting. How many issues right. did you recognize um, as potential problems for the case or, you know, wins for the case? Right. So it's not so much. I mean, it is also true that there are professors who are going to be romanced by a nice turn of phrase and are going to give you like I got A's on some exams. <laughs> it was clearly not from preparation. It was just from they liked how I write, you know? Yeah. And, um, so there's some of that, but yeah, I, I don't think that the game is really what you think the game is. I think the game, it's much more in law school. It really is about like, well, did you learn these various analyses? It's, it's bullet points, right? It's like rubrics that you needed to have memorized essentially. It's like, well, this case had this analysis and this case had this analysis And if we don't know what analysis is going to be applied in this jurisdiction, then, well, here's how it would go according to this one. And here's how it would go according to this one. And I would argue that it should be this analysis because of whatever reasons like that's that would be like an excellent answer. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with like the the beauty, the beautiousness of the writing. (laughs) The beautiness. Beautiousness. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, thanks for writing in anyway. Glad glad you killed the LSAT. All right. This one came in through uh, our new website at thinkinglsat.com. It's from Matthew. says, hi, I'm really worried about my GPA and have some questions because my LSAT GPA is significantly below my undergraduate GPA, nearly half a point lower. Here is some more background on my grades. You know, I'm not really sure I care, to be honest. Like your LSAT GPA is what your LSAT GPA is. Yeah. So we have to live in reality. And like, I mean, I, you know, I don't like, don't take this the wrong way, Matthew. It's not that I'm not sympathetic. It's just that I don't think any of what you're about to say is going to be relevant at all to, you know, like actionable, like what, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. But anyway, I'm a former community college transfer to UCLA I graduated from UCLA with departmental honors in philosophy and a 3.78 undergraduate GPA. It's a run on sentence here. 3.85 major GPA. The pandemic lowered my senior year grades a bit, but that is not my main concern. The pandemic lowered your grades, huh? Um, before I transferred from the community college, I had undiagnosed ADHD and took some classes where I didn't show up to, ended up getting Fs, blah, blah, blah. I got these grades removed from my transcript GPA calculation through academic renewal, only to find out years later that they are still counting into my LSAC GPA because the grades are listed. Yeah, sorry. You're fucked. I mean, you're fucked unless you can go back to that undergraduate institution and explain to them, and you might be able to. You're going to have to practice your lawyering right now on your own behalf, you go back to that old community college and you say, listen, LSAC doesn't honor your academic renewal. I want to ask you guys, because I'm an alum of your school and you want me to be successful, right? 
And I did graduate from UCLA with departmental honor, with departmental honors. And now I'm trying to apply to law school. And you want me to be a successful alum of your community college, right? So is there any way that you could get the, take these F's and just get them off of my transcript entirely? I did the academic renewal. They don't count on your transcript. They don't count on the GPA, but you see they do count against me for law school admissions. Yeah. I'm not saying that this is going to work, but, but you got to try. It's going to make a difference. Yeah. 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 You have to try because if it does work, then that's amazing. So you need to go try to get those taken off of your, that, that transcript and then get those transcripts re-uploaded and then LSAC will recalculate your GPA. Yep. Have to do that. Okay. What else does uh, Matthew want to talk about? I'm naturally pretty good at the LSAT, but terrified that these previous grades, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. We already talked about that. Oh, I also got a no pass in a class during the pandemic because I missed the deadline <laughs> and it ended up conflicting with another class and I needed to go to both live. Okay. So you missed the, you missed the deadline to withdraw. I mean, uh, that's your bad dude. Like I, I understand that I understand that circumstances were not working in your favor, but like no one gives a shit. Like everybody has circumstances. It's just like you, you had like you failed to drop that class and it, it, it fucked you on your academic record. I mean, think about what law schools are doing. Law schools are admitting you to another academic endeavor. Like they're admitting you to, they want to know if you learned how to work the system to your advantage. And yeah, all this stuff adds up to you did not learn how to work the system to your advantage, not as well as your competitors. Look, there are some things you can't change, uh, but it sounds to me like you're saying, hey, I was the victim of this situation. These classes were conflicting and there was nothing I could do about it. I, there, I was just at a loss. But it's like how many other people were in the same situation and went to one of their professors or both and said, Hey, look, I got this conflicting class. What would you like me to do? And the professor, I mean, at that point, what are they going to do? They probably have to make an accommodation for you, but you just didn't even ask. I don't know what happened, but, uh, yeah, you're just, you, you didn't, you failed and well, you, or you weren't ready look enough. At this, Cause here comes another excuse. Listen to this. Yeah. The only reason I did not withdraw. Wait, but you just gave me two reasons why you didn't withdraw. The only reason I did not withdraw was because I needed to be enrolled in the units and I did not think this would affect my GPA and I needed the financial aid of remaining full time. So he actually stayed enrolled in the class, even though he knew he wasn't going to go and he knew he was going to get an F, but he didn't think it was going to affect his GPA because it, or he knew he was going to get a no pass, but it wasn't going to affect his GPA but he stayed enrolled in the class because he wanted more financial aid. Okay. You had some interesting beliefs that affected your, I don't know, like why not do well in the class either too? I mean, <laughs> why this assumption that you're going to skip it? Is explaining things like this worthwhile? No, no. You're Definitely not, not the way no. you're doing it. Yeah. No. Do not say any of this stuff. No, I just don't think, yeah. Step one, 
go back and get these classes removed to the yep. extent you can get them removed. If you can do that, then you don't have anything to explain, right. which is wonderful. If you do have to explain anything, I don't think you're you're knowing how to do that. Because right now, your perspective of the world gives you a lot of passes. Not to just <laughs> play on the words here, but you you kind of... Like you see yourself as a passive agent, uh, the victim of circumstance, and that's not going to come across great. No, none of this. This is all coming off. I, and I'm not, Matthew, you could be a 45-year-old professional person as far as I know. I don't know anything about you other than what you've written, but this is coming off looking really immature. It's coming off looking like someone who's not going to be successful in my law school. If I'm making admissions decisions and I see all this, I'm like, oh, boy, that's the boy. Thank God for sh thank God Thanks for sharing. shared all of this so that we can deny him because he looks like somebody who just doesn't take responsibility for things that they're not within anyone else's control. You know, <laughs> see, he goes on and says. Do schools get to see what your undergraduate institutions list as your GPA and how LSAC butchers it to death by its unforgiving translation system that seems a bit classist and benefits those with the money and resources to not have to learn while working and figure out their lives? Ooh, again. <laughs> uh, the LSAC system, despite its, uh, despite its problems, is an effort to try to equalize grading systems throughout the world. That's what it's trying to do. I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but it's not by any means trying to benefit elitists. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where the class, the accusation of classist, I, I how, what <laughs> different schools do do things like pass, no pass in different ways. So they, they have to, somehow make the GPAs be something comparable to one another. Yeah. And that's all they're trying to do. It's I don't, I don't know where you're thinking that it's like, Oh, they only discriminate against people who came from community college. That's not what's going on. Your GPA will go up or down when the LSAC does its calculation. And we haven't seen any correlation where it's like, Oh, if you went to community college, then your GPA has a tendency to go down. I've never heard anything like that. Anyway, I want to work in big law. And go to a top three school, Jesus, or a top 20 school on a full ride, if possible. And I currently work for a big law firm, Sullivan and Cromwell in Los Angeles as a project assistant, LA's version of a paralegal. And I am making connections where if I go to a good law school and get decent grades, they may hire me back. I just took a practice LSAT and got a 175. Nice. Great. I have taken five or six practice tests and been showing up to a Kaplan class. Oh, God. I mean, if I was pressed to say what's the worst LSAT class, I probably would say Kaplan. I, I don't think that that class, especially if you're already in the mid 170s, you probably scored higher than your teacher. Like, I, I don't I can't imagine that that class is helping you at all. Anyway. I feel I cannot be satisfied with anything below 170s, high 170s or a 180 to make up for my GPA. Besides getting a 180, how can I minimize my academic past that is not representative of me as a current student from tanking my legal future? How can splitters maximize their chances? 
And can you get a good scholarship without a good GPA? Well, Matthew, you need to go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships and you need to play with your actual current LSAC GPA and various LSAT scores and see what types of scholarships we think you're going to get. I also worry about need-based aid. Should I not make too much money right now? Well, don't worry. There's like very little need-based aid <laughs> in law school. Yeah. It's well, I mean, I guess they're starting to change that maybe at the top 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 schools claim to be need-based only on their aid. I think they probably in reality just don't give that much aid. But you don't need to worry about not making too much money right now because the the grants, if you're going to get the grants, it's going to be because of your LSAT and your GPA. And mostly because of your LSAT. Ooh, we should probably talk about that, Ben. Our analysis that we did. Sure. I make 50... Okay, don't care. You're making money. Good, whatever. My job has told me they would not allow me to work while in law school part-time, even if I stayed in LA, as they would want me to focus on law school and come back as a successful attorney slash summer associate if I was to work for them after I leave. So I will not have any income in law school. And then he's asking, do I need, if, should I game it? Like save, not save money because it'll hurt my need-based aid. Don't, I don't think you need to be worrying about that. I think no. you need to be getting, get those grades redacted off of your old transcripts. Go do some lawyering on your own behalf. Then get the very best LSAT you can. I don't think it needs to be a 180, but you know, sounds like you're capable of scoring mid 170s or higher. Play with the scholarship estimator. I, you know, UCLA, UCLA gives full rides. You're working at a firm in LA. That would be awesome. A full ride at UCLA. Is that in the cards for you? I mean, that's, that's great. Be my last bit of advice for Matthew is that you need to be careful with your writing and your editing. There are many typos, many run on sentences. I understand that you're just firing off an email to some random podcasters and you didn't like really put your full best attention into this, but you just yeah. be careful, make sure you're putting your best foot forward. And I guess my number one tip for Matthew would be write it out like this. And then edit it down to like one quarter as long as this. Like just keep it tight because there'll be fewer chances for making outright mistakes or just like oversharing with too many excuses and random side rants that uh, really are not having the impression. <laughs> They're not making the impression that you want to make. I think you're seeing you're. <laughs> I think you're seeing the world through a certain perspective, and you're expecting your listener to or reader to just adopt that perspective. And, um, yeah. Law schools are not going to be impressed by your random allegations of classicism. I mean, not only that, but who do you think the law school admission council is? The law school admission council is a nonprofit. It's a member organization who are the members, all of the law schools. Yep. So there's not really a difference between LSAC and the law schools. This is what the law schools do via LSAC. The law schools normalize GPAs versus one another. Yeah. And so, you know, and then do the law schools see your undergraduate transcripts? Well, sure. Theoretically, they could. Do they give a shit? No, because they publish the LSAC GPA on their ABA 509 report. And that's what matters to the rankings agencies. So that's the number that matters. The LSAC number is the number that matters.
Well, they also don't want to compare apples to oranges. They don't want to get in some like rabbit hole of, oh, well, your GP at this random community college was this. And I, I guess I see how that could be better than what the GPA of someone who has been LSAC adjusted <laughs> right now. What? What are they? <laughs> they're going to compare that? What are they going to do? Start comparing yeah. your official uh, LSAC GPA to the GPA of some yeah. the official GPA of some other school? And now they're just making their job even harder. This might be Ben one of the main reasons why they weight LSAT so much more heavily than they weight GPA. I shared this with my class just recently. Yeah. Um, we haven't yet shared the actual spreadsheet where we did the analysis, Yeah, but we LSAC on their website, they have a thing about indice. They have a, they have a thing where, so every law school uses an index formula where yep. they take your LSAT and your GPA, they multiply your LSAT by some number. They add that to your GPA times some number. And they basically then find a one number. <laughs> they translate your two numbers, GPA and LSAT, into one number so yeah. that they can then conveniently rank, okay, here's all of our applicants based on this. They call it an index calculation. Yep. They publish their weightings. Yep. Or almost every school. What was it? Like 20 schools that didn't? Yeah, 20 of the roughly 200 schools. So 10% okay. of the schools aren't reporting their index formulas. And I think, is it okay, Ben? Can we figure out a public way of sharing all this? I think we should We should make it. I think we should make our analysis public. Sure. It's uh, We can just add it to the, all the other information we share on lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. Okay, lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. You should look for a link to, I don't know if we're going to do it in a Google Doc or whatever, but I would like to just show, hey, here are the index, because because it's a link from LSAC that, sh that shows here's the most recent index weightings. Sure. And then from those weightings, we can infer how heavily they're weighting LSAT versus GPA. Now, yep. I can walk through a little bit of the very... My understand, and I, I, we could be wrong. By the way, like Ben, Ben and I agree, but we could easily be wrong. We've yeah. had a couple people kind of reality check this, but we would like our listeners to reality check us on our analysis. But the best LSAT is 180. The best GPA is, let's say, it's 4.0. Whether it's 4.0 or 4.3, okay. But let's say it's 4.0, just for ease of math. Okay. If the best LSAT is 180 and the best GPA is 4.0. Well, that's four and a half times. LSAT is on a four and a half times bigger scale, right? Four and a half times 4.0 is 180. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not four and a half, 45, 45. times. Sorry, yep. my bad, 45 times. Okay, so the best LSAT is 45 times higher than the best GPA. Yep. And when they do their index calculation, what they're doing is they're, they're multiplying LSAT LSAT times some smaller number plus GPA times some bigger number to try to give them a more equal weighting. You obviously can't like take LSAT plus GPA. That would be really dumb, right? LSAT yeah. plus GPA. Well, then GPA would just totally pale in comparison. It'd be 145th. Be, yeah, it'd be, it, it would have an impact right. on your, your index It would be 145th as important if their index was LSAT plus GPA. Yep. Okay, that's yep. not what they do. 
They do yeah. LSAT times a number plus GPA times a number, and they're trying to balance them out. Those constants, or I guess they're not constants, they're factors. Co coefficients? Coefficients, or? thank you. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those coefficients should be 45 to 1 if they were making LSAT and GPA equal. Or something around that, right? Because we also have to consider the range of like LSAT scores 120 to 180 and GPA probably 2.0 to 4.0. I but guess the point I'm just is, thinking at the top of the range. At the, yeah. the top of the range, roughly, you know, it's around 45 yeah, times right. so greater. So roughly those constants should, or those, sorry, those coefficients should be, the, the GPA one should be roughly 40 something times the um, LSAT coefficient if if they were going to balance them out yep <laughs> we put it into a spreadsheet and did a little bit of math on it though and those numbers were nowhere even close to 45 no 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 the average was uh 10 the average was 10 <laughs> which means that they are weighting the lsat roughly four and a half times on average four yep. and a half times as powerful as GPA. Now, uh, again, this is our analysis. Feel free to tell us that we're doing it wrong. I mean, I, uh, there's could be something that I'm missing. Well, we kept but, coming back to it and it's like, I don't see how else <laughs> it's just a simple formula. It's yeah. some coefficient times LSAT plus some coefficient times GPA. And if you don't multiply GPA by 45 or so, then you're not bringing it up to be a big enough number to compete with the LSAT number, which is already big. So it's just, it seems, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else to, to well, break it down. Yeah. And now to get to the bottom line of our findings, yep. there were rare schools like UC Berkeley. Berkeley yep. was the standout at the low end. Berkeley is roughly weighting LSAT twice as heavily as GPA. Yep. So it's two times more important at Berkeley than GPA. This is according to their really, index. Really low. That's that's giving the LSAT the least amount of weight uh, than any other school. Really, that's the school that likes GPA the most. And they're still weighing LSAT twice as much. And they still like LSAT twice as much as that. Yeah. Almost all other schools were between three and seven, right? Yeah. Weighting three. the LSAT three times as heavily as GPA all the way up to seven times as heavily as GPA. Yeah. There was one, a couple of schools that were up to as much as 10 times as much, but we're saying 90% of the schools yep. fall between when, three to seven times. Right. When we drop the highs and the lows, we end up with 90% of the schools weighting the LSAT somewhere between three times and seven times as heavily as GPA. That's our, that's yeah. the punchline of all of this. That's the headline yep. of all this law schools. Yeah weight LSAT three to seven times as important as GPA. Yep. According to their published index formulae. Yeah. Now we could be interpreting it wrong. We could be doing something totally wrong in our analysis. I would love to be, I, I want to know that I'm right, which means I'm open to you proving me wrong. Right. So please email us help at thinking LSAT.com. If we're doing anything wrong with our methodology we will add these links to the scholarship estimator, lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. You can go in and poke around with the data and you know let us know if we're doing something stupid. But we were both surprised, right? Because we had always thought that like at the top end, oh, it's probably equal LSAT and GPA. 
Yeah. It doesn't seem to be anything even close to equal. No, no. I think our advice that uh, you got to get the best GPA you can get first stands because it is still a huge factor compared to anything else. It's just that in our to-do list, (laughs) it's this weird thing where it's like, okay, you got to focus on GPA first because once that's done, it's over, right? But looking at what thing has the biggest impact on your score, it's still, geez, it's LSAT by a long shot. Yeah, it's GPA is huge compared to everything else except LSAT. It's actually yeah. small compared to LSAT. Yeah. Again, it's like, even- it's like the, it's like a planetary <laughs> system, right? Like you, you think you have an understanding yeah. of how big things are out in space, but then someone actually makes a true to size model and you're like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. Jupiter yeah. is huge. <laughs> yeah. Or There's the like sun. 300. Yeah. 300 earths fit inside of that. Like, you know, that perpetual storm that's on Jupiter. Yeah. And that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah it's wild it's it, it, it uh, yeah big things are big orders yeah. of magnitude it's like it's you really it is kind of mind-blowing now the lsat is not an order of magnitude more important than um gpa is but it is a half an order of magnitude more important right on yeah. average like yeah. four or five times five times would be half an order of magnitude and some schools yeah. it's more than that some schools it's up to seven or actually ten at a few yeah. schools yeah and and so to take all this back to Matthew's email, maybe one of the reasons why is that they know that the GPAs are inherently just kind of bullshit. Like it's really hard to come up with a grade point average. Think about yeah, it. Thousands yeah. of students go into hundreds the of thousands of different much, schools. Much more standardized. <laughs> all these It's an easier thing. Yeah. Pass, no pass. What if they use a five point scale instead of a four point scale? What if you know, these credits that people took while they were in high school or um, who knows what, you know, there's just, there's so much of store and it happened a long time ago, you know, Mm -hmm. in many cases, like that's what's happened with Matthew here. It's like, well, dude, yeah, shit happened when you were in community college. And unfortunately that's now affecting your LSAC GPA. I think the most important thing for Matthew then is like, yeah, but dude, your LSAC GPA doesn't count nearly as much as your LSAT does. Mm-hmm. Still matters a lot though. I don't want people Fix to walk it. away and think like, oh, well, I'm fucking up these grades. So that's fine. I'm just going to keep of digging into not. the LSAT. Because yeah, of all the things that affect your application, GPA is still huge. It's still like no. a planet as opposed to a, a, a speck of dust floating around in the uh, solar system, such as your personal statement. <laughs> Exhaust your options. I mean, you know, like definitely go get those grades removed if you can. Yeah. Um, and also at the same time, get the best LSAT you can. All right. A couple more emails. Let's uh, rapid fire these. Okay. This is from Alexis. Hi, Nathan and Ben. This might be an odd request, but I wanted to see if you could give a shout out to my boyfriend on your podcast. <laughs> okay. His name is Ryan Johnston. He has taken the LSAT twice and is taking it again in June and then maybe again in August. He is a huge fan of not only you two, but of your entire program. He recommends LSAT Demon to every single person he can. <laughs> okay. I was just taking that very literally, imagining him recommending that to people who <laughs> have no everyone. Hey, he's like handing out flyers. He's got one of those sandwich boards 
wearing it around town yeah <laughs> flipping it around <laughs> oh yeah the sign spinner guy yeah whether cool. it is a post on reddit or in person every chance he gets he will say how much the lsat demon has made a difference in his view on the lsat and how he studies he studies every day and that means every day i get to listen to him talk about his scores on a reading comp passage or a question from logical reasoning once he gets the score he wants, he wants to be a tutor for the demon. It would mean the world to him if you could give him a shout out and wish him luck on his June LSAT. He would die. Whoa, we don't want to. Yeah, we don't want to kill anybody. But yeah, good luck, Ryan. Good luck, Ryan. You got to sounds like you got a keeper there on um, yeah. Alexis. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's nice. Nice yeah, of you. She's a keeper. Okay. We got a couple emails here about um, our most recent episode with uh, Derek Brainerd of Access Lex. First one wow. says, okay. hey, Nathan, on the last podcast, was Derek on our team or the opposing team? <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Thanks, Derek, for coming on if you uh, happen to hear this. But this yeah, was the this is a good <laughs> question. <laughs> This was the latest Thinking LSAT podcast regarding financing law school. Some of the conversation went above me. I could not decipher whether or not you guys were annoyed with his responses or the situation as a whole. Should we be using that site? I was just looking for clarification. <laughs> Thanks. F. Um, I thought that what Derek was saying, I, I didn't disagree with anything that Derek was saying in terms of, hey, Figure out ways to save money, yes. Figure out what to do once you have a student loan, the most effective way to take care of it. But I felt like the underlying message, which he was not necessarily sharing, but I felt was was made obvious through his discussion, was that you don't want to get involved in any of this. Like, you don't want to go down this path. You don't want to have to be saving $100 on your coffee right. expenses or trying to get involved in some loan forgiveness program. What a nightmare, right? Like, I think his advice is really for people who already have put themselves into a bad situation. Yeah. I mean, Hey, he seemed like a genuine guy. He seemed like a nice guy. I was happy to have him on the show. I wasn't like, no, I didn't feel like he's the enemy at all, but I would say, Hey, get a full ride to law school so that you don't ever have to talk to somebody like Derek about That's how right. to like, exactly. cause that his, his business is like, Oh, so you've incurred $250,000 worth of law school debt. All right. Let's talk about your options. Yep. Uh, you know, or, Oh, so you're halfway through your first year and you're already $75,000 in debt because you've got undergrad debt and now you're borrowing money for law school. Let's talk about ways that we can keep this under control, you know, by again, minimizing your expenses, like turning down some of your optional money. You need to be, you need to be just getting that tuition scholarship. So a lot of what he was saying, yeah, I, I don't think that it's practically very useful because the things that we talk about are orders of magnitude more important. Yeah. Um, you know, like they had some website about other outside scholarships. And I think I said on the show something like, oh, that's where you get $2,500 for winning exactly. some essay competition or something. Exactly. Come on, man. You're going to have to submit a thousand of these stupid essays and then you're going to get a few thousand dollars maybe. <laughs> Instead, get a few more LSAT points and get 30,000 more dollars worth of tuition scholarships. 
I mean, it, that's just like, you're going to have one chance to negotiate with the schools in a very meaningful way. Well, maybe two chances, but the most important chance is before you ever start law school in your one L year, before you write a single check, you need to negotiate the very best deal you can possibly get, which in many cases means $0 of tuition. Yep. Your other chance is if you really super kill it during your 1L year and you have the opportunity to transfer like, you know, from Hastings to Berkeley, like you could transfer across the bay to that better law school that you can see across the bay. In that case, you might be able to negotiate a 2L or 3L scholarship out of Hastings in order to stay. Yep. But you can't bank on that because you're going to go compete with all the killers at Hastings and be sure that you're going to finish in the top 10% of your class and have a chance of transferring to Berkeley. Not a good wager. No, much you've better. You've already wager locked to, yourself in. You're like, okay, you ready to talk now? They're like, sure, we can talk. You've already committed to us. <laughs> right. Get the LSAT in the first place, apply early, apply broadly with your very best LSAT, negotiate yourself a full ride before law school. And then you never have to talk to Derek. I mean, his, like we were clicking through his website on the show. Yeah. And one of the, one of those pages was super telling because it was like, well, how much, you know, how big of a deal is debt to you and how much, how much debt, how, what are you trying to limit your debt to? And it had radio buttons. The three radio buttons were 100, 120, 140. It's like, like None of these. What? So you're just assuming that everyone who goes to law school is going to have a hundred thousand dollars of debt and yeah. you're supposed to be like the debt help person. Yeah. You're going to help us get down to a hundred. No, you need to get us, help us get down to 10, zero, yeah. something low. Yeah. You want to, uh, we got one more email here about Derek. Sure. Or about I just, that episode. Not so about an anonymous writes, I just laughed when I heard that guy talk about estimating how you could borrow less for cost of attendance. And yes, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic is a great analogy, and I hate fucking analogies. <laughs> the estimated cost of attendance is a joke for anyone who supports themselves. I think they tend to underestimate the cost of attendance when they set it. That seems to make their school look more affordable. Yeah, so cost of attendance, just to clarify, this is tuition fees plus estimated room and board transportation yada yada i do think these are optimistic numbers when i see them it's like oh you think i can i can live on this much money in this town um well this example right here is a perfect oh okay so anonymous has an example the cost of your health insurance is often under miscellaneous category in the cost of attendance breakdown my school based health insurance plan will be approximately $4,600. So that's 5,000 5, or so of miscellaneous costs is suddenly reduced to about 400 spread over eight to nine months of school. <laughs> they just yeah. don't, they didn't have a category in their cost of attendance. Health insurance was not part of that. <laughs> well, whoa, health insurance in America, if it costs you $4,600 a year for health insurance, <laughs> well then okay, maybe you should have a separate category for that <laughs> so we can be honest about that exactly instead it's just like oh no that's out of your miscellaneous oh really <laughs> so and honestly 4600 doesn't sound bad so no th that's um yeah you have you have 400 dollars 
<laughs> yeah, fifty dollars a month for miscellaneous spending money. All miscellaneous, yeah. Yeah, that alone is bullshit. Anonymous says. Also, their healthcare plan doesn't really cover vision and dental, so forget <laughs> your teeth and your vision, except for a few items or emergencies. So that miscellaneous cost is probably eaten up if you need a cavity filled or new glasses at any point during your three years of school. <laughs> Wait, yeah, it's cavity. You don't even need a cavity. What about just going to the dentist? You should go every. Yeah year at least okay anonymous continues that doesn't even begin to cover the fact that my rent will be over twice what the financial aid office or school thinks an apartment costs the cost of attendance is a is dumb as shit okay i'm lucky to have the opportunities and support i have but if i didn't i would be losing my shit over cost of attendance stuff. <laughs> so thank you for writing that in. That's from a, a soon-to-be 1L, a former student of ours who's starting law school this fall. Uh, we appreciate all of those updates. You yep. can email help at thinkinglsat.com anytime you want to check in with us. Just to bring it back to the whole thing with Derek, you know, because like again, like that was that's kind of what Derek does. If he's counseling these law students, he's like, well. So let's talk about this, you know, you're, you're borrowing, you're not just borrowing tuition and fees. You're also borrowing money for cost of living. And Derek's like trying to encourage people to lower that number. Yeah. But this correspondent is like, there's no way in hell I could lower that number. I can't even get by on that number. And so, you know, well, it's thank just so God. stressful. Jeez. Yeah. Thank God for a tuition scholarship. You know, like this is a person who's going to law school for free. Yeah. And so and they're still struggling with like, holy shit, I can't work. I have to pay rent. I have to buy the student health insurance. How am I going to make it? Um, you know, you know what I think happened with Derek is I think Derek and his his crew, they work with people who are substantially in debt every day. So they're yeah. they're extraordinarily skewed in their perception of the possibilities out there. Like when they yeah. talk about $100,000 in debt, they probably someone comes to them with $100,000 in debt and they're like, "Oh, wow. That is so awesome. I'm glad to hear you've reduced your debt to 100,000." But in reality, they're just dealing with the worst cases all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, which are ultra common when you go to law school. Law school is wildly overpriced. Most people are borrowing way too much money for law school. And yeah. uh, that's why our mission is to get you to not pay. Yeah. You just don't have to. You could get a tuition scholarship. If you follow our advice, you can go to law school for free. Yeah. Now it's still not, you're still having to pay other things, fees, living expenses, opportunity cost of not being able to work for three years, books. I mean, like still lots of there's, it's still not going to be cheap. It's still going to be an investment of time and money in your future, but you for sure do not have to pay the biggest worst part of it, which is tuition. Yep. The, the law schools have gotten completely out of whack on the tuition they charge. Yep. And uh, if you go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships and start playing around, you'll find schools that would love to admit you for free. And that's just the kinds of schools that you should be targeting. You, 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 <laughs> you got to play the game, y'all, <laughs> to, to avoid just a lifetime of debt. I mean, I think the most telling thing that came out of that whole episode, that was episode 348, by the way, of Thinking LSAT. But the most telling thing was when Derek basically said, 
oh yeah, if you're going to work in public interest and you're borrowing $200,000, then you are necessarily relying on loan forgiveness. Like you're not, he, he was just, it was pretty clear. He's like, oh yeah, no, those people are not going to repay their loans. Oh, so depressing. Yeah. Taking out loans that you know, you're not going to repay. Holy shit. Like you're signing all that paperwork. You're going to be a fucking attorney and you're signing away all your rights and signing, you know, all these like arbitration clauses and just like, I understand, I acknowledge, I blah, blah, blah. Like I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise, I promise. My firstborn child, I understand that <laughs> bankruptcy does not disclose these or does not um, d- discharge these obligations. You know, you're just like signing acknowledgement after acknowledgement after acknowledgement. You're not even reading it, of course. And then next thing you know, three years later, and now you you owe a quarter of a million dollars. And if you're lucky, you go into loan, you go into um, a income based repayment plan where you're still you are making payments but you're not even covering the interest on those loans. Yeah, you're working toward a goal you cannot accomplish. So the principal continues to climb and all because 10 years from now, if I make 120 qualifying payments in a row, 10 years from now, if this program still exists, these loans will be forgiven. Wait, or, is it 10 years? I thought he said 20 to 25. There's two different ones. So oh. it's the it's the 10 years for lawyers working in public interest. Oh, it's if you, 20 if you to, stick to public interest too, right? Like, Yep. And it's 20 to 25. I, I don't, I, I forget what the other program was about, but yeah, there's this other bailout program, but that's the one where then when they forgive the loans, it becomes a taxable event. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, we forgave $250,000 worth of your loans, but uh, yeah, now you owe 40% of that to the IRS. So then you enter into a new payment, a re- uh, new repayment agreement with the Internal Revenue Service now servicing your loans. <laughs> I hope we've made this abundantly clear to people, but I do want to point out one thing that kind of surprised me recently. We've been going through the tuition numbers, right? For every school, there's resident, there's non-resident. Um, and so on. And a pretty consistent pattern has been that schools go up or they have gone up about two to $3,000 from their 2022 numbers to their 2023 numbers. So that's probably going to continue to happen. So if you go up $2,000 a year, that's six extra thousand dollars. I mean, when Derek was talking about getting these scholarships that are $2,500, all you're doing is covering the increase in cost of tuition for one of your three years. <laughs> the tuition is still what it is. Yeah. Well, our position is clear. Um, you know, we, we didn't make this system. We don't like this system. We wish this system didn't exist. We wish that there was a cap on how much people could borrow as a consumer mm-hmm. protection measure. We wish that there was a cap on how much people would be allowed to borrow. We are not elitists. I I just don't want, I don't want people getting ripped off in the name of opportunity. I, I don't think anybody should be paying this amount of money for law school, but I, I think that I think the system should be fixed somehow. I think law school tuitions should be capped potentially or the Department of Education could step in and cap the amount that people are allowed to borrow, which would have the exact same effect. I mean, Derek seemed to be pushing back on that idea, 
But I, I, I come on now. We actually know that. So remember when we we heard about Charlotte going out of the Charlotte law went out of business? Well, the way they went out of business is the U.S. Department of Education decided to stop guaranteeing their loans. And as soon as they stopped and guaranteeing that those loans, that the school ended. was out of business. Yeah. They're only in business because of the ability to people for the the ability for people to borrow. Well, so, it's, it makes perfect sense. Their clients are not people who can afford what they're about to buy. Right. So, so the, how are they going to do that? No, totally. So anyway, those two things, right? Either cap student loans or cap tuitions, which capping student loans would have the exact same effect as capping tuitions. Or to, part of the problem is the scholarships themselves. You could outlaw merit-based scholarships to law school. Because I have they, a feeling if, they would work around it somehow. They'd be like, oh, well, we'll, we'll let you stay in this apartment that's on the campus for free. Yeah, who knows what. Um, but the scholarships are a big part of the problem. And then I encourage you as an applicant, though, to take advantage of that system and go get yourself a scholarship. Yeah. Because that's that, I want to help you, listener. And the way I can help, even though I think the system is broken... And this should not exist. And it's unfair that I'm going to now give you the advice that make sure you take a scholarship to law school because they're out there and you should get one. If you don't get one, then you're borrowing money to pay for one. We have a stupid system in which someone is going around dumping cat trash cans full of cash on the street. You'd be a, you'd be a fool not to pick it up. <laughs> Yeah, they're actually delivering ca trash cans full of cash to the law schools. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're not asking to have a piece of that. And you're well, you're you're the one who is you're you're borrowing the money. You're to the put it into a trash can to deliver it to the school. And or you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, do yeah. you want to be the one who's responsible for that trash can of cash or not? Yeah, I, you are I the vehicle. Not. <laughs> you are the vehicle through which the Department of Education allows for that cash to be transferred from the government to the school. But you're not because you're a thinking else at listener and you know that you are not going to pay for law school. Um, yep. Okay. <sighs> Jeez. You can be LSAT famous. Uh, get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email our amazing customer service team, help at lsatdemon.com. Please check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That's uh, five days a week with a digest that comes out once a week that wraps up all of those into a supercut long episode if you prefer longer podcasts. Anyway, check out LSAT Demon Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That was episode 349 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Bye.